Good morning, Christchurch. It's good to see you all. It's a treat, always a treat to be here, to return to this community. It's always an honor to be asked and something of a miracle to be asked back. And so I appreciate, appreciate that, especially on an occasion like this, the beginning of your quarter millennial celebration. What a milestone. That's a great thing. When Noel asked me to come, she said that what you're going to be doing, the agenda, is to explore the whole story of your past in order to celebrate it and also to look at it and learn how to be better followers of Christ and proclaimers of Christ in the future. Now, that's asking a lot for a 10-minute sermon, so I'm not going to get all of it done. But it is a remarkably important thing, a challenging thing. And in thinking about this inaugural period of your observance, I found something in the gospel that I think could be a real help as we undertake such a process. I'd like to share it with you. The Beatitudes that we just heard are far more memorable than they are practical. They're seemingly better suited for pious respect than any fruitful direction of our lives. But I really think there is a way to understand the Beatitudes that speaks directly and clearly to the work of discernment and understanding that we're all involved in. So what I'd like you to do is to come with me for a few moments, do a little Bible study on the Beatitudes, and then apply that study to reflecting on the past and anticipating the future. Now to begin with, Painfully, we have to acknowledge that the word blessed doesn't mean a blessed thing. <laughs> you get a blessing when you're married, but you also get one when you, when you sneeze. <laughs> now, I would say that that alone makes it rather difficult to know exactly what Jesus means when he says, blessed are the poor in spirit. It certainly doesn't mean lucky, or as in, I was really blessed. It doesn't mean happy, as in, have a blessed day. In this context, it has a particular meaning. Now, this is going to be on the test, so you've got to mark this, right? Okay. What it means here is righteous. Righteous. It means when we experience the things that are in the Beatitudes, when we experience those things, we can know that we're on the right track, that we are, in fact, following Jesus, that we are making a right use of our lives, which is the literal meaning of the word righteous. We're on track when we experience those things. Now, you got the bulletin, so take it out and take a look at the, at the Beatitudes and follow along with me, and I think you'll see what I mean. You look at it, Jesus is telling us that when we're following him faithfully, when we're getting it right, these are the things that we can expect, and these are the things that we will experience. To be poor in spirit, that is, a sense of our inadequacy before God. Mourning, because those who love 
are always vulnerable to loss. A sense of humility, here rendered as meekness, a hunger for what is right, an instinct for mercy, and an urge for forgiveness, a distilled clarity about the nearness of God, an instinct for peace and for healing, and resistance from the world around us, what John Lewis would have called good trouble. That's a clear description of what it's like to follow Jesus, to follow the path of righteousness. When we're experiencing those things, we can be pretty sure that we're on the track. Now, you will, of course, have noted that these experiences are not all happy fun. It's not all a good time. They are, however, at the very heart of what it means to be human and what it means to be purposeful and what it means to be part of that which is good in a world that is full of that which is not so good. That's what it means to be on the right path. That's what it feels like. That's what the experience is. And here's a key point. This will also be on the test. You want to underline this. Another point. The reverse of the Beatitudes is the experience of being off the track. The Beatitudes are what it's like to be on the track following Jesus. The opposite of the Beatitudes is what it is, is being off the track. For example, poor in spirit is on the path. Its opposite, spiritual complacency, me and God are God made, we're okay. That's off the track. Grief is part of the path. Pretending to be invulnerable is off. Humility is on. Arrogance is off. Striving for righteousness is on the path. Accepting injustice and indifference is off the track. The righteous path of God is God-focused, peacemaking, and healing, which naturally results from pushback from a self-centered, conflicted, and troubled world. That's the path the Beatitudes illumine for us. Now, our task, our task is not just to understand what Jesus was saying about the experience of following him, but to try and take those insights and use them to interpret our history, the path that had brought us thus safe thus far on the way, the path that has brought us to this quarter millennial milestone in our ongoing history. But as your website at Christ Church wisely notes, talking about history has become more complicated in recent years, and it is complicated. One thing, one thing that makes it so so difficult is the nearly overwhelming temptation to sit as judge and jury weighing our ancestors with the imperfect scales of our current mindsets. 
wouldn't it be fun? Wouldn't it be fun if you could spend the next 12 months pronouncing your spiritual ancestors as having gotten it right or gotten it wrong? That they were on the path and off the path. That would be fun, but folly. Our task is to learn from history in order to better shape the future. And that cannot be done if we wrap our history in mystery clouds of misty clouds of sentiment or if we judge it in terms of laws that you and I just recently wrote. The narrow path of righteousness is ours to walk as learners. We are the ones doing the walking now, and we are the ones in danger of straying. You can be pulled to the left by the kind of arrogance that believes that we, whose lifestyle is actively destroying the entire planet, can morally distance ourselves from people whose lifestyle included the institution of slavery. They're not that different. We can be pulled to the right by the complacent notion that our church, our community, and our nation are already formed and only need to be protected. And that leaves us blind to the fact that our church, our community, and our nation are being formed and require creative, even risky, devotion. Well, if the past is complicated, the future is downright scary. We hold a faith 4,000 years in the making. People not far from where we sit right now are literally dying, literally dying for want of the purpose and the hope that we have in abundance. But how can we share that in a world that is distracted and disinterested in what we're about. We claim a truth that is rooted in creation and extending beyond death. But our witness to that is blurred by political agendas and sexual appetites that make the Christian name an object of scorn. We as a community are shrinking in numbers while the importance of what we say and do is growing exponentially. The future, the future is daunting to consider. The briefest glimpse will prove that there are problems we cannot solve. We cannot solve all of the issues before us. But, but, there is a path we can follow. We can follow, in fact, the path of righteousness, cut for us by Jesus of Nazareth, laid out in the Beatitudes. We can follow a path that acknowledges our inadequacy before God, a path where love and love's losses are writ large, a 
path where humility provides the foundation of mercy and forgiveness, a path where peace and healing are priorities, a path where good trouble is always at hand. That's the path the Beatitudes illumine for us, and it stretches before us as well as behind us. We don't have to save the world. That's already been done. But we do have to be faithful followers of Jesus Christ. And that could keep Christchurch busy for another 250 years. Oh, man. <laughs>